Hello, this is Gene Wilhelm. Today we'll be exploring the scriptures for the 32nd Sunday in Ordinary Time, November 7th, 2021. And this is in cycle B. This is the, my early, after this, there are only two more Sundays in, in uh, this liturgical year. It's interesting to me, for in my own particular case, and probably for the, you if you look at it, that we think we have fairly decent relationships with God. However, a few of us have enough trust in God's provision to do what the widows in the first reading of the gospel did, give everything they had to God and God's representative. More amazing is that the widow in the first reading was probably a pagan. With that, let's take a look at the first reading, which is 1 Kings 17, verses 10 through 16. This is a very important reading. Read it carefully. Think about it. Go back and read it again after we're finished. Uh, it has a lot to, to say to us about things. It says, In those days, Elijah the prophet went to Zarephath. He was obedient to what God had told him to do. Zarephath was uh, in uh, uh, some translation was a Sidon. It, so it would basically be uh, in Lebanese territory for, of today. So Elijah didn't do what Jonah did when Jonah was told to go to a pagan land. Elijah went and obeyed God. And he said, and that goes on to say, as he entered, as he arrived at the entrance of the city, a widow was gathering sticks. He called out to her, please bring me a drink of water. And we can, we'll look at the, what, what it means to be a widow uh, when we get down into the gospel. So uh, it, the widows had no standing really in, in the culture at that time. Most of them were totally on their own. They had no sustenance. Uh, and so it's interesting that he would ask her to minister to him because what, what you see in the gospels or in the, the Old Testament and, and in James, is that we are called to minister to God, to widows and orphans. So he says, please bring me a small cup of water. Now you have to remember that there was this three and a half year drought that was going on. So water was a precious commodity. And he's asking this widow to share what little water she has with him. And so it's it's it, we have to be aware of that. And then it said, she left to get it, and he called out after her. So, okay, the water is not enough, lady. I want more. Please bring me, bring along a bit of bread. So Elijah is thirsty, and he's hungry, and he's asking this widow to take care of him. And if he read the, the, uh, the, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, it would tell him that he's supposed to take care of the widow, and he's asking the widow to take care of him. So she answered, as the Lord your God lives, she knows it doesn't say my God, the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked. There is only a handful of flour in my jar and a little oil in my jugs. She's saying, look, my cupboard is, I'm a mother hubbard, my cupboard is bare, except for what I've got here, this little bit that I still have, and, and, and you're asking me to, to share that with you? She says, just now I was collecting a couple of sticks to go in and prepare something for myself and my son. When we have eaten it, we shall die. So she's saying, we're going to die of starvation, and you're asking me to take this last meal that, that my son and I have to eat before we starve to death and share it with you? And what does Elijah tell her? Elijah said to her, do not 
be afraid. That's, that's probably the most frequently spoken verse or some variation of that in the Bible itself. 360 or sometimes it's there. Don't get so afraid. And that, why, would she, why would she even believe him? But he says, do not be afraid. Go and do as you propose. So go ahead and make yourself some cakes for you and your son. But first, make me a little cake and bring it to me. Give me the first fruits of your labor, which is very much what you see in the Old Testament, in the, in the Pentateuch again, the, the, that give God what is yours, the first fruits of what you do and what you have. Okay, so it's, and that, that will be important when we get into the gospel to understand that. Then you can prepare something for yourself and your son. So do get, get me something to eat first, and then you can fix something for yourself and your son. For the Lord, the God of Israel says, listen carefully, the jar of flour shall not go empty, nor the jug run dry until the day the Lord sends rain upon the earth. <clears throat> Excuse me. Let's visit another case where we see something similar to this happen with a widow. And this is with Elisha. And it says in 2 Kings verses 4, 1 to 7, it says, Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord, but the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. And Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me what you have in the house. And she said, Your maidservant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Then he said, Go outside and borrow vessels of all your neighbors, empty vessels, and not too few. Then go in and shut the door upon yourself and your sons, and pour into all these vessels, and one is full, set it aside. So she went from him and shut the door upon herself and her sons, and as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, Bring me another vessel. And he said to her, There is not another. Then the oil stopped flowing. She came and told the man of God, and said, he said, Go sell the oil and pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on the rest. So God takes care of the, the widows and the orphans. <clears throat> and what we see here that... God is asking obedience of this widow as Elisha did of the widow in 2 Kings. Obedience to do something that makes absolutely no sense. Okay, and it goes on here and it says, she, gave, she left and did as Elijah had said. She gave everything she had to God's representative here, to Elijah, who was the prophet of God. And it goes on to say, she was able to eat for a year and he and her son as well. <clears throat> so he stayed with them for a year, and they ate off of what, what she had for the last meal. The jar of flour did not go empty, nor the jug of oil run dry, as the Lord had foretold through Elijah. So here we got it, that, that God is taking care of this woman and protecting her, and so we know that very much. Now let's go to the gospel which uh, tells a very similar story, but it is, hasn't got anything to do with bread and oil. And this gospel is the gospel of Mark, verses 12, 38 through 44. 
And you can find parallels for the first part of this in Matthew 23, 6 and 7, Luke 20, 45 to 47, and 11, 47. In the course of his teachings, Jesus said to the crowds, Beware of the scribes who like to go around in long robes and accept greetings in the marketplaces, seats of honor in synagogues, and places of honor in banquets. So these are the guys that are flaunting their supposed holiness and their their uh, premier status among the people who practice Judaism. Let's take a look at Luke chapter 14, uh, verse 7 and 8. And so let's take a look at this, because this isn't the only time that Jesus has said something about people uh, flaunting their, position, their power and position uh, in this way. Luke 14, 7 and 8 says, Now he told a parable to those who were invited to this dinner. And he said, When he marked how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, When you are invited by one of, to a marriage feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest a more eminent man, man than you be invited by him. So don't assume that you're the most important person in the room. Take a place, position of humility. Don't don't flaunt what you've got. Let somebody else take care of you uh, in these particular situations. And you're not supposed to, to be the one that, that's the premier, the one that everybody looks to. Don't look out for yourself. Let God look out for you through other people. So, it, and it's, uh, this is a problem that Jesus had with the uh, religious leaders of that time in that Everything was a show. Everything was done for the for how it looked rather than what was in the heart. And then Jesus goes on to say, they devour the houses of widows as a pretext, recite lengthy prayers, they will receive a severe condemnation. We can go back to, uh, uh, golly, uh, Ezekiel 34, I believe, where Jesus, where God condemns the shepherds who are getting fat off the sheep rather than taking care of the sheep. And here, this is this is interesting because when we get down to the next part, we'll see about the widow giving her 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 two cents. And the the these very religious leaders who he's talking about here, the scribes, uh, are actually employees of the Jewish religion. So they're getting, she is supplying for them and they're, they're not, they're, they're dependent on her and yet they think they're better than she is. Now let's look at Luke, the, the, another companion is Luke 21, one to four for this next part. He sat down opposite the treasury and observed how the crowd put money into the treasury. So the collection basket was passed and Jesus was observing what people were putting into the collection basket, basically, if, if we, to put it in the context of what we would see today. It says, many rich people put in large sums. So again, here they are uh, showing how much they put in, making a big show of it. Uh, remember the parable of the Pharisee and the publican. The Pharisee is all show in the, in, in the temple, uh, telling God how great he is and glad that he's not a sinner like the, the publican, like the tax collector. And the tax collector is just saying to God, I'm a sinner. I'm here to 
forgive me, Lord. I'm not worthy that, that I should be here, but I'm here. Many rich people put in large sums. All, or pardon me, a poor widow also came and put in two small coins worth a few cents. Calling his, she gave everything she had. Just like the widow in the first reading, she gave everything she had to God's representative, which is what this widow is doing by putting it in the collection box. Uh, and so, calling his disciples to himself, he said to them, Amen, I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the other contributors to the treasury. That's an astonishing thing. This woman gave probably a equivalent of two or three cents in today for us or something less than a dollar. And he's saying, this is a greater sum than this, this big chunk where you could hear all the silver going into the box that somebody had been putting in massive amounts of money. Why is that? It's because it came from her heart. The other, and when he goes on to say, for they have all contributed from their surplus wealth, but she from her poverty. So they were giving their 10% that they were called to do by, again, by the Pentateuch to give your 10%, which probably didn't bother them at all, unless they were so greedy that they wouldn't even give God that 10%. But it, it really enhanced their status among the people to do that. And she, she wasn't drawing any attention to herself. And she didn't think that what she had was worth anything or that would be recognized or be of any value to anybody. And yet in God's eyes, this was of tremendous value because she was giving everything she had. It says, for, the, for they have all contributed from their surplus wealth, but she from her poverty has contributed all she had, her whole livelihood. Now, I want to take a look at a couple of things here because uh, let's look at a couple of other uh, uh, scriptures. Uh, one, this kind of reminds me in a sense of what we saw in the par uh, the story of the rich young man who came to Jesus and asked him what he needed to do. And Jesus looked, and it's, uh, Mark 20, 10, 21 says, and Jesus looking upon him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. So leave behind your attachment to all the things that you have, and come follow me. Okay, look at Luke 5.11. And this is when uh, the, the apostles had the miraculous the catch of fish, Luke's account of the call of the first apostles. And it says, And Jesus said, and Jesus stopped and said, call, oh, I'm sorry, I'm looking at the wrong. And when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. So it's a leaving behind of what you've been depending upon and depend upon God. And again, I'm going to quote from Mark chapter 10, verses 49 to 50. We had recently the story of Bartimaeus. And when Mark Bartimaeus, as you recall, was along the side of the road, and it says, and Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, rise. He is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Again, this is probably the only thing 
that Bartimaeus possessed is definitely the only thing to keep him warm and warm at night because a cloak was also used as a blanket. What is so significant about that? Significant about that? I, I'm going to quote a couple of commentaries here. One is from uh, uh, Leo Zanketten. Maybe I'll just take an ex- excerpt from it in his uh, his devotional that he on the Gospel of Mark that he wrote for the Word Among Us, and you can find that at the Word Among Us uh, website. It says the story of the widow's might just demonstrates powerfully the humility and lowliness that so pleases Jesus. He can. T- We can tend to think that being humble means allowing other people to take advantage of us, but the widow demonstrated that true humility means radical dependence on God. And that's what we see here, that she's radically dependent on God, giving her everything, just as the widow in the first reading became radically dependent upon God by giving the cakes to Elijah first. Uh, There's another commentary on this that I'd like to quote, and this is from uh, Father George Montague, it's called a popular commentary on the earliest gospel. This is on page 147, by the way. For this particular moment in Jesus' life, standing as he was in the courtyard of that holy place where man gave himself to God and God to man, the woman, this is the widow, typifies the folly Jesus himself is about to commit, give his all for the ransom of many. So in a sense, what we see in this widow is doing is what Jesus was going to do for us on Calvary. And it's uh, that's basically what we need to look at. Jesus came to give everything for us and for his Father. He was a sacrifice to his Father that his Father accepted for the forgiveness of our sins. And so let's look, let's look first at the Alleluia verse. The Alleluia verse, we don't do this very often, this is Matthew 5, 3, which when I first looked at it, I thought, this doesn't make a lot of sense why this is here. But it is, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. The uh, New Jerusalem Bible has a couple of notes on there uh, that are, are, are it should be interesting to us because this blessed is... An old says it's an Old Testament formulas of congratulations like these occasionally in relation to piety, wisdom, prosperity. Here, in the spirit of the prophets, Jesus recalls that the poor too have a share in these blessings. The first three beatitudes, uh, and it goes on to talk about the first three beatitudes. So blessed can also be translated happy. So the poor in spirit. Well, is that talking about somebody who has uh, is despondent, dejected, depressed? Could be. Could be talking about somebody who has nothing at all for possessions, like the widows that we saw here? Could be. Could it be one of the people that were putting massive amounts of money into the treasury, who were trying to do it secretly without drawing attention to themselves, and and they they gave... God, they gave to widows, they gave to orphans, they did all these things, could be. And it says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And okay, so the, let's go back and look at another note, note Matthew 5d says, the word poor is used with moral connotation already found in Zephaniah, made explicit by in the spirit, which is lacking you, Luke, defenseless and oppressed, the poor or the lowly are open to the kingdom of God. And as such, and such is there is the theme of Matthew's Beatitudes. 
So it's saying that blessed are those who are totally dependent upon God for what they have. All right, let's look at the second reading. The second reading is again from uh, the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 9, verses 24 to 28. Uh, We're continuing to talk about who Jesus is and that he's this priest, okay? And so again, this seems to be a theme very prevalent in, in the book of Hebrews. And it says, Christ did not enter, enter a sanctuary made by human hands, a copy of the true one, but heaven itself, that he might appear before God on our behalf. Let's look at Romans 8, 34. Uh, this may be a stretch, but this is the one that we hear quoted a lot. Who is to condemn? Is it Christ Jesus who died? Yes, who was raised from the dead, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. So God is making intercession. He's doing intercessory prayer for us with the Father at all times. And that's what we have there. And so then not that he might offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters each year into the sanctuary with the blood that is not his own, so if that were so, he'd have to repeat it. He would have to suffer repeatedly. Pardon me for the rustling of papers from the foundation of the world. But now, once for all, he has appeared at the end of the ages to take away sin by his sacrifice. So Jesus did what nobody else could do. He did it. It wasn't this this uh, prefiguring of sacrificing lambs, but it was. Jesus himself, just as it is a point that human beings die once, and after this judgment, so also Christ offered once to take away the sins of many. Hebrews, uh, the New Jerusalem boat, note 9, Hebrews 9, L says the sacrifice of Christ is unique, being offered at the end of the age, the end of human history. There is no need for it to be repeated since it wipes out sin not with non-human blood, but with Christ's blood. So its effect is unconditional. Uh, let's take a look at, at John chapter 1, verse 29. And this is, this is John the Baptist speaking. And John the Baptist sees Jesus and he says, The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So Jesus is the Paschal Lamb. If you recall in Exodus, the Paschal Lamb, the original Paschal Lamb, was slaughtered as food for the journey, and it was a commun- basically a communion sacrifice rather than, and the blood was wiped on the doorpost to to get to ward off the angel of death. All right. Well. He will appear a second time, not to take away sin, but to bring salvation to those who eagerly await him. So he's talking about the second coming. Let's look at the responsorial psalm. We have a few minutes to do that. And the responsorial psalm is from Psalm 146. If you look at the last few psalms uh, in the the 150 psalms that there are, you will find that the last few are a lot of psalms of praise. And the first, uh, the responsorial psalm, the, the response itself says, Praise the Lord, my soul. And that, you know, that soul is life. Uh, it's, uh, it's the Hebrew word means life. So praise, and what? which of the seven words for praise? I'm, I'm sorry, I did not look that up, but it's probably halal, which is uh, exuberant praise. So it's not sitting on your hands and doing nothing. 
The Lord keeps faith forever, secures justice for the oppressed, gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets captives free. Praise the Lord, my soul. Now, there are several places in the New Testament uh, where we're going to see that. Down the verse below says, The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord raises up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the just. The Lord protects strangers. Look at Psalm 121, verse 2. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Repeated basically the same thing, except instead of individual, but as, as a group, as a group of people. Psalm 124, 8 says, our, our help is the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. And then Psalm 145, verse 14 says, The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up those who are bowed down. Psalm 103, verse 6 says, The Lord works vindication and justice for all who are oppressed. Psalm 86, verse 6 says, Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my supplication. In the days, day of my trouble, I call upon you, do, for you do answer me. God answers prayers. Sometimes it takes a while. Sometimes it, it's an immediate answer, yes, no, or later. And sometimes it may be, He's silent for a time, seeing whether like the like the uh, widow with the judge or the man who went to his neighbor to get to get bread in the middle of the night. How persistent are you going to be to allow God to come to you and give you what you need and take you forward in all that you need? Okay, so the fatherless and the widow he sustains, but the wicked he thwarts. The Lord shall reign forever. Your God, O you, your God, O Zion, through all generations, hallelujah. God wants to give us what we need. But sometimes he tests us to see how much we're willing to give him. Or are we going to be like Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts who held some back just in case this Christianity thing didn't work out? Are you giving your all to God or are you only giving part of yourself to God. We are called to give our all to God, and we, we need to do that on a regular basis. Uh, for myself, I'm not sure that I'm really willing to trust God to the extent that these widows did. I am, however, willing to be willing to do so. I ask you to consider these readings as a call to be more willing to open to God and his calling to you and go beyond where you are and to become more dependent upon God than anything else in your life. With that, I'm going to call it a close for today and uh, pray that the Lord bless you and keep you this week, and we hope that we can be together again next week.